Well, good morning. My name is Lucas Ashley, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Bridge. And it is always an honor and a joy, to be honest, just to get to share God's word with you this morning. And I tell you, this morning is not just exciting because it's a Sunday. Like, I wake up and get excited about Sundays. I don't know about you. Like, this, I, 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 I get excited about this. Monday through Friday, well, I like Fridays too, but you know what I mean. Like, the rest of the week, it is what it is. But, like, Sunday is my day. I love Sundays. But I'm not just excited because it's a normal Sunday. It's not just because we get to worship in a room together. It's not just because we get to watch and engage together online. I'm excited about today because today is our small group expo. Who's excited for small groups this semester? Come on. I don't know about you, but I have experienced the most life-changing moments I I ever have in small groups and in community. And and we're excited about presenting the opportunity for you to take a step and step into a community. If if you're online, don't worry. We have online-only small groups. If you're not in the location and on campus today, if you're online watching, it's okay. You can sign up online today as well, too. We want to do whatever we can to make it easy for you to say yes to stepping into a community in a small group this year. Because let's be honest, let's just show a hand. How many of you have ever realized that you needed help from someone at some point in time? If you didn't raise your hand, I'm gonna pray for you right now, okay? (laughs) Something is blocking your sight to realize that you need some help. We've all been in that place before. I remember in college, I was 19 years old and I had gotten a a new job. I worked from when I was 15 on, but I had gotten a job to where as a 19 year old, like I was making money, you know what I mean? Like when I look back, it was probably like 800 bucks a month, but like as an 18, 19 year old kid, like I was rolling, it was fantastic. I, I was living alone, I was living the life. And so I did what any rational, responsible 19 year old would do with that first paycheck. I went to the store and I bought the biggest TV that I could afford. And you know I say afford loosely. Like, it might have been a couple of weeks of like ramen noodles and mac and cheese and leftovers, but like I was getting this TV. And to date myself, when I say a big TV, I'm not talking about like a 60-inch flat screen. I mean a 36-inch tube TV. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is when TVs were actually big, okay? <laughs> the screen may not have been big, but the TV was the size of a truck. You know what I mean? And so I went to the store, I picked up this TV, and I had the attendant help me load it into the back of my truck, and I'm driving home, I'm excited, I'm gonna plug this in, I'm gonna watch movies all night on my VCR, come on somebody, and we're gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy the night. And halfway home, it starts raining. I I don't have anything to cover this up with, so, you know, I I gingerly speed up a little bit. I get home, and, and as soon as I get home, I realize I had to have help getting this in my truck. I don't know how I'm getting this upstairs to my house because I lived in in this old beat up duplex. It was a family duplex that my family, my grandparents owned and all the grandkids could stay there if they went to college there. And I had this narrow, steep wooden staircase. I kid you not, when I moved in, that home was already 100 years old and it was old. And and so I I just sat there thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna get this thing inside. But it was raining, so with all little bit of strength my scrawny body had, I somehow got the handles on the box got it out of the truck and just onto the patio so it was at least dry. So I figured, okay, if I can get it off the truck, I can carry it upstairs. So I I pick it up, you know, using only my back because I'm smart, legs first, pick it up, and then I sit sideways, try to start squeezing into the staircase, and pretty quickly I realized, while I was a scrawny kid, the TV and myself are not going to fit up the staircase. No one to help me. The only option I had was that I I got behind it or in front of it, whichever way you're looking, grab that handle and just slowly start to pull it up step by step. 
And I'm pulling it up step by step. And I kid you not, God is my witness. It's like a movie. My back foot is on the top of my staircase. And like a slow motion moment in a movie, I can hear and see that wet cardboard start to rip. And before I can even process what's happening, I fall backwards and the only thing I'm holding is a ripped cardboard handle as I'm watching my brand new TV tumble stair after stair after stair until it smacks the bottom door. Yes, it was broken. (laughs) You know what's crazy is I thought back to that moment and how much I needed help that day. The crazy thing is I was surrounded by people. I had neighbors next to me on my right, to my left, across from me, behind me. Have you ever been surrounded by people but yet you still felt alone? Like, have you ever looked at your life and thought, I have no one to help me? But then you see the person in the office next to you, the neighbor outside blowing the leaves off their driveway into yours. You look and see you're surrounded by people, but yet for some reason you feel alone. It's a common problem. And I tell you, it doesn't take a whole lot of life lived or a broken TV for us to realize the biblical truth that life is better when we live it together. Life is better when we have people to live it with. Life is better when we have people to celebrate our promotion at work with. Life is better when we have a shoulder to cry on, when we have someone on the other line of that phone to complain to and vent to. Life is better when we have someone to help us carry the TV. Life is better when we choose to live it together. It doesn't take much of our life to realize that that is true. The only question is how come so often we still find ourselves surrounded yet alone? This morning, I want to look at just the reality and the power that you have to not be alone anymore. And and I want to see some lessons in the first generation of the church. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. If you're online, there's some Bibles in front of you. If you ever want to use one, borrow one, take one home with you. Yes, it's not stealing. You can have the Bible in the chair. Okay. We'll also have it on the screen. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And what's happening here is... Acts was written by a man named Luke. It's the same Luke who wrote the gospel according to Luke. Not me, bald enough, not old enough, okay? And so what happens is his desire for the book of Acts is that he wants to give a presentation, a historical account of the actions of the first church, the early church, those who were the ones carrying forth the gospel after Jesus had been born, walked, died, walked again, and then miraculously ascended back to heaven. Because remember, this is not a fairy tale. This is history that our God did this. And this is what happens next. And what's so cool is that in this account, we see the state of what was the church back then. And I think there's some important lessons that we need to learn about the power you and I have to choose not to be alone anymore. In Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 41, What's happened is this is coming out of the day of Pentecost, if, if you know church history, and, and Peter has been preaching this message. And it says in verse 41 that those who believed what Peter said, he was preaching the gospel, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, that salvation can be found through faith in him alone. It says that as he's preaching this, that those who were added to the church, those who believed that day, were 3,000. 
Like, I want you to imagine a Sunday morning here at the bridge where 3,000 people at one time were to say yes to the news of Jesus Christ. Like, you imagine how incredible that would be? So 3,000 people are added to the number of the church that day. And what happens next is we see the culture that the church was creating. In verse 42, verse 42, it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It goes on, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. Because of what they devoted their lives to, because of the culture they chose to create, says a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45, this is crazy. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Not a day went by that they lived like this, that God didn't add at least one more to the fold. Like you imagine where we don't go a day in our life without seeing someone come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. All because of the culture that they were creating, the community they were creating. Now in that first verse, it says that all the believers devoted themselves to these things. There is a simple yet difficult truth that lies right in that little verse. It's the first thing we need to understand about community. And that's that community, life-giving community, is a personal choice. It's a personal choice. I'll say this as, as kindly and as gracefully as I can because, well, I lived this. Like, when I'm gonna talk to you about community and the difficulty of saying yes to community, it's because I grew up on an island. I'm not talking about like you spoiled people who live out on Anna Maria, okay? Like an island of isolation in the middle of the Metroplex of Texas. Like, I grew up alone, not really understanding what true community looked like, felt like, or was experienced like, surrounded, but alone. And so when I say these things, I'm not preaching at you, I'm trying to help you understand what I had to understand, and that's that community is a choice. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Have you ever tried to get someone to like something as much as you like something? Like if you have employees that work under you, have you ever tried to force them to have the same work ethic you have? How many of you have kids? Have you ever tried to get them to have the same desire of cleanliness, organization, and simply personal hygiene that you have? <laughs> How about with our spouse? Have you ever tried to get them to like your hobbies as much as you like your hobbies? Face it, they're not gonna understand eight hours in a boat when you catch nothing. They don't understand you paying money to chase a white ball around a green field. They don't get it. It's okay. See, devotion is a choice. To devote ourselves to something has to be our personal choice to do so. Community is a choice. And this is what I'm going to say as gracefully and truthfully as I can. You will never wake up and find yourself in isolation 
or in community by accident. You won't. Wherever you find yourself today when it comes to having community or not is an outcome of the choices you made yesterday. It's true. I know it hurts. I know it's easier like Adam and Eve to blame the people around us as to why we don't have community anymore. Community is a choice, a personal individual choice. Some of you are already like, I don't like this guy. Like, I get it. Again, I am staring in a mirror preaching to myself here. It is a choice to be surrounded by life-giving community. You see, the, the apostles, the early church, they devoted themselves. They were added in one day, 3,000. Every day, at least one person after that for the foreseeable future. And every one of them had to choose whether or not they would devote themselves to the culture of community that the church had created. It was a personal choice, something they had to choose. What have you chosen when it comes to community? In the story of the first generation of the church in Acts 2, we see four things that I want to walk you through. Four choices that they made that led them to live in life-giving community. It says in Acts 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me ask you this. How many of you ever got a ticket? Not like to a concert, like a ticket. Like you got pulled over, and you got a ticket, right? I can remember when I was in my late 20s, I was driving to work one day, and that dreaded thing where you hear the lights come on, and I'm getting pulled over. And it's one of those moments, like there are moments you get pulled over, and you're not 100% sure what you were doing wrong. This was not one of those moments. I knew good and well why I was getting pulled over. But what he didn't know is that there were actually two other things that I could get in trouble for. You see, when he was gonna come up and he was gonna ask me for what? License and registration, please. Well, they were both expired. And so it was one of those moments where when he pulls me over, they make you wait, right? It's like they make you sweat it out a little bit. And in that moment, I had to decide what my story would be. And in my head, I just initially thought like, I got it. I'm gonna make it, I got, I, I got a story living in me that I'll tell them and there's no way that this man has that little of grace that he'll write me a ticket. So in my mind, he's gonna walk up, sir, do you know why you pulled you over? Yes, sir, you were speeding. I know my wife's had labor, I'm trying to get to the hospital. I just, you know, license registration, yeah, here they are. Sir, you know, they're expired. I know, listen, I've been overseas the last two years taking care of orphans and widows. I just, I haven't been home to do this, you know, and surely, surely he won't give me a ticket. And as he approached the car, just conviction took over, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna try it differently. I'm just gonna be brutally honest. So he walks up to the car. Sir, you know I pulled you over? <laughs> Absolutely, I do. I was speeding. Any reason? Nope. <laughs> License and registration, please. Here you go. Fair warning, they're expired. <laughs> Any reason? I'm lazy. <laughs> Let's just be honest. And I'm thinking, like, this guy's going to say, who is this kid? Like, I feel so sorry for him. I'm just going to, you know, be generous. And I chose honesty, and he chose to write me three tickets. It's fine. I deserved every one of them. It wasn't about whether or not my honesty would get me out of that situation. It's what my honesty would lead me to. 
And it was to knowing for the rest of the day that even though I got those three tickets that I had to deal with, I could walk knowing that I chose truth. It says that the apostles, the church, devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Community chooses truth, first and foremost. It chooses truth. Not lies, not sugar-coated, just truth. It says they devoted to the apostles' teachings. What were those? They were the words of Jesus. They were the words written in the Old Testament, not the New Testament yet. That didn't exist yet. It was being lived out in that moment. But that's the truth they devoted themselves to. And it's a truth that has power behind it. John 8, 32 says that the truth has the power to set us free. Free from condemnation, free from sin, free from shame, free from pain. So the church chose truth. Truth is important because it does three things in our life. The first is this. Truth instructs our life. Truth provides instructions. Like, let's be honest. 90% of the time, we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> let's just be honest with ourselves. We want to believe that we are a people who don't need instruction manuals to build bookshelves. We do. And if we can't build an Ikea bookshelf without a manual, why do we think we can learn how to parent, be married to someone, deal with finances, any of this without instruction? We need instruction on how to live this life. That's what truth brings. And that truth is discovered and dove into in community. Truth also directs our decisions. It instructs us on what to do and it directs us on where to go, the decisions to make. When it comes to our family making life-changing decisions, I'm not talking about like what to eat tonight or what color to paint the wall. I'm talking about moving our family 17 hours from Texas to Florida where we know no one. I'm talking about those types of decisions. We do three things. First and foremost, we pray. We ask God to reveal the truth of what he's calling us to do. The second thing, we seek wise counsel. We go to people who we trust will be truthful about what we're trying to decide. And wise counsel is important to say because you need people who you believe know what they're talking about. Like, we'll be real honest. Your friend who's on their fourth marriage is probably not who you need to go to for marriage advice. Unless... Unless they have found Jesus' redemption and they're learning from their mistakes. The same way the person who has $80,000 in credit card debt is not who you need stock tips from. Like, that's just the reality. Go to people for wise counsel. Then the third thing we do is that we fact check everything we're feeling and hearing through Scripture. Because that's the truth of God's word. Now, no, there's not like a second opinions of Luke where I'm gonna find whether or not my family should move to Florida written in text, okay? But we take what we are feeling God calling us to do and we, we, we check that feeling with the truth of scripture in our life. What is God calling us to do? Because those, that direction matters. Because what happens is we decide that we wanna go a certain direction and so we think in our life as a family, we wanna end up there. And so everything that we do is a choice that we make to step forward. And we're listening to scripture, we're listening to the truth, we're listening to godly, life-giving community, and we're taking steps. And some point in time, we make the wrong step, right? And here's the deal, is if I make one wrong step, it doesn't feel like a lot, but if I keep walking, where do I miss? I miss where I was trying to go. 
This is where the third thing that truth does is so important. Truth instructs us, truth directs us, and truth corrects us. This is the painful one. I say that. This is the one that we love to give but hate to receive, right? Like, I'm all for holding people accountable, just don't hold me accountable in return, right? Like, let me tell you what you're doing wrong, but don't look at me. But we need that, and the truth gives us that. We need community that looks at the truth of God's word and loves you enough to tell you you're about to walk off a cliff. Because if they tell you that you're about to run your marriage into the ground, that's not them being critical, that's them being caring. That's love. Love says the hard thing, if it's the right thing. We need community that corrects us in truth. But here's a little side note that you need to understand. Accountability is two ways. If you want to be in a community that gives accountability, you have to be willing to receive accountability as well too. And if you're going to give accountability, if you're going to give correction through truth, do it biblically. And it says that we have to speak with truth and what? Grace. It says that in John chapter one, when it talks about like the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, that he came with grace and truth. He can speak truth as boldly as he wants to, but it needs to be met with grace. You can correct people without being critical of people. You can correct them without condemning them or being condescending to them. It's just using grace to pair with truth. It's not always easy, but it's essential to growing life-giving community. Community chooses truth. The second thing is that community chooses trust. It chooses trust. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And then what I love is it goes on just to say this, and you can miss it at first. And they shared in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Like, I love that. It's such a small thing. But it's an important thing. Think about it like this. Who do you invite into your home? Hey, we'll put it this way. If a stranger comes and knocks on your door today, where do you have a conversation with them? <laughs> on the front porch. It's not inside. You might crack the door open to see if you can get rid of them that way, but then if not, you step out and then you close the door behind you, right? And maybe they earned enough to where you say, okay, I'll we'll bring them into the foyer. Right here, the door's short enough that it's, I can just kick him right out of it. It's fine. But then we grow a little bit more. I'll bring him into the living room. And if they need anything, I'll go to the kitchen and get it from them. But where does family stand? In the kitchen. It's not even at a pretty made table. Family stands in the kitchen eating out of paper plates and ice cream cartons. Like that's where family lives. The people you trust the most are the people that you bring into the most intimate places of your life. But you've got to trust them to bring them into the kitchen. See, some of us, if we want to experience life-giving community, we've got to make a step of faith and begin to trust people enough to trade some patio relationships for some kitchen relationships. You're saying, Pastor, you don't understand. I've done that. I got hurt. I got stabbed, I got broken, you stole my ice cream. Like, you understand? I do. I carry mine too. I have the scars in my back. 
I have the broken trust in my past. But here's what I've learned about trust. Here's what I've learned about dealing with the things that have happened to us in the past. I know that trust has a risk. I know that if you choose to trust someone today, that you're tossing a coin in the air and you're not sure if it's going to end up on the side of hurt or help. But that's the beauty of the risk, is if I take a step of trusting people, I could get hurt again. But I could also find healing in that relationship. I could also find hope and happiness in that relationship. If I take a step of trusting someone, I could get hurt, but I could also find healing. But if I choose to stay alone, I choose to stay the same. I choose not to find healing over that. I choose not to experience the love that I want to experience. People always say, right, it's better to love and have lost than have never loved at all. Trust is risky, but the reward is worth the risk, if you're asking me. Trust is not something where the house always wins. Trust is something where God's grace can win, where we can experience that love and that peace. But we have to be willing to trust people. We have to be willing to let people in. If we want to change our loneliness, we must choose community. Desiring community is great, but if you do it without trusting people, it's like wanting to travel without leaving your home. It's a great desire, but you won't go anywhere. You won't see anything, and you won't experience anything. If you want community, life-giving community, you have to choose trust. There's an author named Donald Miller. He said this. He says, it's true that if we live behind a mask, not like COVID mask, but metaphorical mask. If we live behind mask, we can impress people, but we won't connect to anyone. You can impress people with social media relationships, but you will only connect with people in your kitchen. Inviting them in, trusting them into those spaces. Again, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. That's my story. I lived by myself for four years in college. Not because I didn't need a roommate, not because I couldn't have roommates, but because I had demons. I had things in my life that I didn't want people to ever see. And I was afraid that if I invited them past the porch, they would see them and they would run. So I lived alone. Completely isolated. And I began to have to ask myself about five years, five, six years ago, after I had been preaching about community for years, I had to finally ask myself, do I even have it? Who really knows me that well? Have I actually let anyone into my life? Even with my wife, my hope was that I could change and fix all my demons before she ever could possibly see them. Because I was still so afraid. I get that trust is risky, but it can also be rewarding. Because life-giving community chooses to trust. Now, I'll say real quick and then I'll move on. If you're someone who trusts easy, then I'm talking to you. Be gentle with us. Be gentle and patient with us who don't. And if we trust you, guard it like treasure. Don't be the next reason that someone is hesitant to ever trust again. We don't all come by it easy. 
To be trusted, you have to prove to be trustworthy. Don't break it. Community chooses to trust. And then third is that community chooses to help. Verses 42 through 46, it talks about all the ways that the, the, the church helped each other. It says that they prayed for each other. They sold things and properties to make sure that everybody had enough. We help each other. My parents taught me one beautiful thing, not through words, through actions. They, uh, my mom even texted me after first service and was like, we did? <laughs> it's like, yes, you still teach this that to this day. And that's this, that they always taught us that there is nothing worth valuing more than the opportunity to help someone. Like there is no possession, there is no gifting, there is nothing God has given us, because remember, you earn nothing, God gives everything. There's nothing that God hasn't given us that is not worth giving to help someone else. Community looks to help people. It chooses to help. And that's a beautiful shift that we have to make at some point in time with our everything we have. Like, and it's a small ask. Like even the idea of biblical tithing, like the idea of 10%, like God gave Jesus' life. <laughs> and we struggle with that sometimes. And I get it, it's a real struggle. I struggled with it for a long time until I didn't. And now I don't even think about it. It's, I, I can't wait to ever get a raise so that I can give more. It's just something we want to do. But it took time to get there. And it took a shift in my mind to realize that there's nothing that I have that isn't worth giving if it's gonna help somebody else. Now, don't go home and argue with your spouse saying that Pastor Luke said you gotta sell everything and give it away. I am not saying that, okay? I'm saying to listen to God. He might ask you to do that one day. I know people who he has. But that's where you check it with truth, right? But we learn how to give. We learn how to help. We help with physical needs. So as they shared everything, they sold properties. And we help with spiritual needs. Like, that's a big one. See, we as believers, we as Christians, we as people in the church, we have access to this thing called prayer. Like, it's something that I think, unfortunately, that the modern church, not the bridge, like the big C church, kind of downplays a little bit. It becomes kind of this check the box in the morning, I prayed for a good day, I prayed for good sleep, I prayed that God would bless my triple cheeseburger even though I shouldn't eat it, like, I'm praying these things. But like, we forget that prayer has power. Like it says that prayer is something they devoted themselves to. And right after it says that, it says a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracles and signs of wonder. Don't tell me those didn't come from prayer. Like, they do. Because prayer is that powerful. Starting tomorrow, I want to give you a challenge. Tomorrow, we start our 21 days of prayer. It's 21 days where we encourage you to devote extra time to the discipline of prayer. You're like, well, I thought we did that in January. I know, but we chose February this year. It's okay. It starts tomorrow. It'll be online. You can follow our social media accounts. Uh, you can email the church if you don't have social media and want that some other way. But I want you to choose for the next 21 days to see what God will do through committed prayer. Every day it's going to be a different direction for your prayer. It might be praying for your spouse, for your friends. It might be praying that God reveals sin or burden in your life. It might be praying for healing. It might be praying for miracles. Whatever it is, we're going to give some direction every day. But I, I just want to encourage you. So I tell you, I, for me, that was my conviction this year, is that my prayer life had become stale. 
because it had just become a habit. Well, for me, my, my, my hope this year is that God breathes a fresh wind into my prayer life, that it becomes something more than just this habitual moment in my life, this habit, but it becomes a passion that I can't live without because I remember the power that exists in it the power of praying for miracles, the power of praying for provision, the power of praying, just the reality that I get to talk to the God who created the universe. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go into some, some mantra mindset. I don't have to go into some place of hallucinogenic thought. Like, I can sit down or stand in the shower and pray to God. <laughs> like, that's how amazing that is. Anything, anyone who adds anything to your prayer of you have to do this to pray, check it with truth. He just says, come to me. It says that like a father, God bends his ear to hear his children. We get to pray. But not just for ourselves, we get to pray for people. We get to pray for healing. We get to pray that God would provide for people because we need help from people. We need not only to give help, but to learn how to receive help from people. See, here's one of the things that I've learned that's really cool. Sometimes, sometimes, the big miraculous provision God wants to give you is not from a miracle, but from the faithful hands of a friend. <laughs> like, if there's something you're in dire need of, sometimes it's not that God is waiting for you to have enough faith that he sprouts that need up from the ground. He's waiting for you to have enough faith to trust people so that he can partner with people to change your life through their generosity. Like it says that at the end that they were so generous that God was adding to the flock every day those who were being saved. When we, you hear us talk about generosity changes lives, it's not because we have bills to pay as a church. It's because if we choose to put God first in our possessions, our finances, our gifts, and our talents, and give everything back to him willingly and faithfully, that generosity will not just change the lives of those who inherit from it, it'll change yours. You will find favor in life because you've been faithful with God. We choose to serve in community. And the last thing as we close is that community chooses to grow. It chooses to grow. If we step into community, life-giving community, we choose to grow closer to people. That's going back to everything we just talked about. You can't choose truth, trust, and helping people unless you're growing intimately with them. But it's not just this intimate person-to-person -person growth. Community chooses to grow. The reason that, that we're investing the money to build out seats is because we believe that growth is important. Well, this is church. We don't want to measure by numbers. No, we do. Although Pastor Chris Hodges says that as long as heaven and hail are real, numbers matter. Because every person that says yes to the message of Jesus Christ and steps into biblical life-giving community is one less person that the devil has a grip on in their life. That's one less person that will spend an eternity outside of the glorious of heaven. That's one less person who has to live life alone in pain and sorrow and hurt. Numbers do matter. We need to believe that God wants to grow the community greater than we could ever imagine. Not so that we could boast on numbers, because I assure you, I'm not good enough to do anything that I'm doing right now. 
I am broken and sinful, just like you. But I strive to be faithful with what God gives me as an opportunity because I believe people need to hear the message that I heard, a message that brought healing, peace, and freedom in my life. So community chooses to grow, to invite new people in, to not be afraid of the mess they might bring with them, but to be excited about the message of hope that they might receive. I wanna say this last thing, and and this is not gonna go for everybody, but if it goes for you, you'll know it. I, I truly believe that the greatest trick the devil himself has learned to play when it comes to biblical community, to community growing. I believe the greatest trick that he's learned to play is to get you to, com- to compare your relationship with someone to their relationship with someone else. Because that temptation of comparison causes you to be afraid of your community growing. Because here's what he says. Oh, but what if that person comes in, what if your friends like them more? What if when they come into community, what if they're better at that than you? And so you lose that place. I hope someone comes in who's better at this than I am because I'm not great. We need better people. We need more talent. We need more gifts. We need more faithfulness. But we're tempted to lose. We have this scarcity mindset that if we open ourselves up, we will lose what we have fought to create. So we get this fear in our mind that if we invite new people in, that we might lose the people we've grown with. Listen, life-giving biblical community is not jealous of growth. It's joyous of growth. It finds joy in more people coming in. It finds joy that there are so many people that we have to learn how to share friendships and not worry that they went and grabbed coffee without me. But just being thankful that that person who might have grabbed coffee with my friend, even though I wasn't invited, is one less person that will spend an eternity without the Father. Community chooses to grow, no matter the fears we have no matter of the concerns or the lies the enemy wants you to believe that might keep you from opening your life to people. He wants you to think everybody's gonna hurt you. He wants you to think that everybody's lying to you. He wants you to think that everyone will choose someone over you because he wants you alone. Because when you are alone, he has a better chance of attacking. Choose community, life-giving You have the chance to do that today by taking a step of faith and going into a small group. If you're online, again, you can sign up online. If you're in person, you can exit the building here in a little bit and you can go sign up for it today. But for someone, before you take that step, you need to understand where community starts. Community starts with God passage bookends with it. 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. People devoted themselves to godly, life-giving community, and daily God gave them more people. They didn't find them. They didn't gain them. God gave them because he trusted the community they were building. And so he blessed them with more. Maybe today the step you take is to say yes to a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Maybe that's the first step of community that you take is to say yes to the life-given relationship that comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's real simple. 
It's about acknowledging that we've sinned and made mistakes. No one's arguing that today, I don't think. It's about confessing our belief that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God, came to earth, lived the perfect life to die an unjust death on a cross, only to walk out of the grave three days later, defeating death on yours and my behalf. Why? So that we wouldn't have to be alone anymore. You have the power to choose to not be alone anymore. And it starts with choosing Jesus today. I wanna pray for you. And just as I pray for you, if if that's you today and you wanna take that step, we're gonna do a little differently. I just want you to, in your heart and in your head, say, Jesus, I'm in. I believe in you, I trust you. Come into my life, save my life. Just in your own words, say that. There's nothing magical about the prayer I would lead you through. It's what you say in your heart. But I just wanna pray over us and then we're gonna stand and worship. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you are a God who chose not to abandon your people when they were lost and broken, but you are a God who loved us so much that you sent your only son so that he may pay the price of our pain, our sins, our mistakes, so that we may no longer have to taste the sting of death, but that we, through a relationship with you, through a community with you, would experience eternal life with you. Father, I pray that today that someone for the first time says yes right now. It it, it could literally just be the words, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, save me. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you, save me. It could be as simple as that. But I pray someone steps into that relationship today. And for the rest of us, I pray that you show us what it is that is in front of us. What What is the something else that stands in the way of you? What is the something else that stands in the way of us saying yes to a life giving community? through a small group this year. Father, let there be nothing else anymore. Let there be nothing that stands between us and you. Father, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. And if our ministry has been a source of encouragement for you, let me encourage you to do two things. Number one, share it with a friend who needs hope. That would make a big difference in their life. Secondly, share it with us. We would love to hear your story. You can send us an email at amen at bridgechurchfl.com. And finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially as we bring hope both locally and around the world, you can do that directly through our website, bridgechurchfl.com forward slash give. And thank you for letting us be a part of your spiritual journey.